We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodebar. So King David had him brought from Lodebar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's households were servants of Mephibosheth. Almost made it. (laughs) And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please take your seats. Yes, let's give Sarah a hand. That was incredible. Now, everybody say Mephibosheth. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for your word that it is living and active. Uh, Lord, that you come alive in your word, that you are the living God who still speaks to us now, uh, that your spirit inhabits your word to find us wherever we are this morning. Uh, Lord, some of us are, are here hungry to learn, uh, hungry to sit at your feet, hungry to be renewed by your word. Some of us come to your word not sure what to believe, unsure if you even exist. Some of us are surprised to find ourselves at church this morning. And Lord, all of us come with great need and great weakness. We don't know you the way that we want to know you, trust you the way that we want to trust you, love you the way that we want to love you, love others the way that we want to love others. And God, we are in desperate need of you. And so we pray that you would take 
the weakness of the preacher who stands here today and the weakness of those who hear your word and that you would take your word that is planted in weakness and make it rise in power and in life through your spirit that Jesus would be magnified and that we might be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again, and welcome to Resurrection Oakland. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Dave, and I would love to meet you after the service. Please come up to the front and say hello. We are continuing our sermon series uh, on the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, we, we find the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are nine character traits that God wants to build into our lives. Uh, and we, we call this series The Beautiful Life because the fruit of the Spirit actually gives us a multifaceted picture of the ways that God wants to make our lives beautiful. How beautiful, you might be wondering. How beautiful does God want to make my life more beautiful than any of us can imagine? See, when you put your faith in Jesus, you begin to realize that Jesus sees you as beautiful just the way that you are with all of your flaws, with all of your brokenness, with all of your shame and your guilt. But God doesn't leave you the way that you are. He actually wants to make you even more beautiful. He wants to make you more loving, more joyful, more filled with peace, more filled with patience, more filled with kindness than you ever thought you could be. See, life is filled with moments where we feel like we've hit the ceiling. Have you ever felt that way about your life? Have you ever felt like you've hit the ceiling of your success or your intelligence or your strength or your social skills or your wisdom or your bank account or your beauty? We all do, because every part, every, every one of these things has a ceiling. You can only have so much money. You can only have so much beauty. You can only be so, have so much success. You can only have so much strength. You can have only so many friends. And sooner or later, we all find ourselves asking this question, is this it? Is this all the money I'm going to have? And for some of us, the ceiling on our life might feel really, really low. Is this it? Is this all I'm going to have? Is this it? Is this all the friends I'm going to have? Is this it? Is this as beautiful as I'm ever going to be? Is this it? Is this as happy as I'm ever going to be? In fact, today's Father's Day, Happy Father's Day, but even Father's Day has a ceiling because this is a day of great joy for some and a day of a lot of sorrow and heaviness for others. There are people in this room who are not fathers, but wish that they were. There are people in this room, like me, who have lost their fathers. There are people in this room who have complicated relationships with their fathers, maybe never knew their fathers. There are people in this room who are feeling like they are failing as fathers. 
there is a ceiling on everything else that we experience in life, but the good news of the fruit of the Spirit is that there is no ceiling on the beauty that God wants to create in you. Because true beauty is not about what you have or what you have done or who you know. True beauty is about becoming like Jesus. It's about becoming a person that is filled with greater love and greater joy and greater peace and greater patience and greater kindness. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to look at how God wants to make you into a person that is more kind than you could ever dream you could be. And we're going to break down this passage uh, in four parts. We're going to look at, number one, what kindness is. Number two, we're going to look at what kindness isn't. Number three, we're going to look at why we need kindness. And number four, we're going to look at where to get kindness, a four-point sermon. So this is, this is a special day. <laughs> Don't worry, these points won't be too long. Uh, what kindness is, what kindness isn't, why we need it, where to get it. Let's start with what kindness is. Uh, the Hebrew word for kindness in today's passage is, believe it or not, harder to pronounce than Mephibosheth. It, the, the Hebrew word for kindness is chesed. I won't make you repeat it. Chesed. It, it sounds not so beautiful, but it is actually one of the most beautiful words that we find in the Bible. Uh, it's hard to pronounce. It has no equivalent in the English language, which is why when you look at your different English translations, and even within the same English translation, the word chesed is translated differently. Just in the NIV, which is what we read from today, the New International Version, a kindness can be translated as mercy. It can be translated as love. It can be translated as loving kindness. It can be translated as unfailing kindness. It can be translated as kindness. And I'm pretty sure there are other translations as we, if, if we were to scour the Bible more carefully. See, it, kindness in the Bible is a very rich and deep thing. And let me summarize all these different translations this way. Kindness is a tangible, undeserved, and unfailing act of love. A tangible, undeserved, and unfailing act of love. And we see all these three qualities of kindness in today's passage. Uh, David starts out this passage saying that he wants to show kindness to the house of Saul. Kindness is tangible. Kindness is tangible. In fact, when you look for the word chesed in the Old Testament, it, it almost always appears together with the verb show. You show kindness. Kindness is not something that you, that you just experience internally. You don't feel kind, you show kindness. Kindness is a kind of love that is visible and practical and tangible. A kindness is love made visible. Kindness is speaking a kind word or lending a kind hand or offering a kind ear or giving a kind gift or making a kind invitation. It's granting a kind favor. 
Mark Twain put it this way. He said that kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness is tangible. It's something that you can see. It's an act, not an idea. Kindness is also undeserved. It's surprising that David wanted to show kindness to Saul's house. And if you know the story of David, if you're not familiar with the story of David, right, the, the, the reason it's so surprising for David to show kindness to Saul's house is because Saul was his enemy. Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was threatened by David, and he tried to put David to death multiple times. David spent a good part of his life hiding and running from Saul, and King Saul forced David into a war that Saul eventually lost. And in the ancient world, when you win a war against another king, and you become the king, you put every one part of the former king's family to death. And that's what everyone expected. That's what everyone expected. But David, David does not want to shore up his power. He doesn't want to do what is politically advantageous. He shows kindness. He wants to show kindness to Saul's family. You know, kindness, if you think about what kindness is, is by definition always undeserved. The moment kindness becomes something that someone deserves, it stops being kindness and it just becomes justice. This is why people talk about doing random acts of kindness. Have you heard people say that? Do a random act of kindness. Why do we say that? Because deep down we know that kindness should be undeserved. It should be free. It should be unconditional. You shouldn't show kindness because it's going to help you in some way. You do it purely for the good of the other person. Kindness is always undeserved. The third thing that we see in this passage is how kindness is unfailing. Kindness is unfailing. See, David's love for Saul's family was not only undeserved, it was also unfailing. Because by showing kindness to a member of Saul's family, David was actually putting his own life and his own family at risk. How easy would it have been for a member of Saul's family to betray David's kindness? And what would have happened if they had betrayed David's kindness at the very beginning of his rule, at the very beginning of his rule as king of Israel? What would have happened if a member of Saul's family made David look weak and unwise? It would have destroyed him. It would have destroyed his family. It would have destroyed his life. It would have destroyed his rule. David was putting himself at great risk by showing kindness to Saul's family, but he does it, and he tells us why. He says that he is going to show kindness to Saul's family for the sake of Jonathan. We're going to talk a lot more about Jonathan later in this passage. But what I want to point out here is that David had a special relationship with Jonathan. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, he actually made a covenant with Jonathan. And even now, after Saul is dead and the war is over and he's just at the beginning of his rule, David remembers this covenant. And his kindness is the kindness 
of commitment, a kindness that makes and fulfills promises, a kindness that is unfailing because no matter how hard it gets, no matter how risky it is, it will not shrink away from the promise that it made. Kindness, kindness is tangible. It's something that you can see. Kindness is undeserved. It's never something that you can earn. Kindness is unfailing, which means that it comes at great cost. And that is why kindness is such a powerful and impactful thing. See, kindness shows us that every single one of us in this room is created for love. This is what we were created for. We were created for kindness. We all need to know that there is tangible love out there, tangible help when we need it, that we are not alone, that there is undeserved love out there, that when we don't deserve it, there is kindness that is still within reach, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how costly it is, that there is kindness that can rush into our lives when we need it. And all these things make kindness beautiful. And it's hard to believe that kindness that is as beautiful as this can really exist and that it could exist for me in the situation that I am in now. And it's hard to believe because kindness is actually very easy to counterfeit. Which brings us to the second thing I want to look at with you today is what kindness isn't. A couple months ago, there was this great article in The Atlantic by Arthur Brooks. And in this article, Arthur Brooks talks about the difference between kindness and niceness. See, not, kindness is being good to other people, doing good things for other people. Niceness is being pleasant to other people. And he, he provides this brilliant illustration. He says, look at New Yorkers. New Yorkers are kind, but they are not nice. Right? A New Yorker will look at you and say, you've got a flat tire, you moron. Let me help you. Right? And then he says, Californians, Californians are nice, but they are not kind. <laughs> he says, Californians will look at the person and they'll say, hey, you've got a flat tire. Have a good day. <laughs> right? There's a world of difference between kindness and niceness, and we all need kindness more than we need niceness. In today's passage, we meet someone who's very nice, but he's also very unkind, and his name is Ziba. We meet him in verse 2. Ziba was one of Saul's servants. When David asked if there was any surviving member of Saul's house, Ziba makes himself helpful. He calls himself a servant. He says, I am your servant. And he points out Mephibosheth and helps David find this member of Saul's house that he could show kindness to. But if you just look a little bit closely, a little bit beneath the surface, and especially if you read the rest of the story of Ziba's life, you learn that Ziba is a very nice but very unkind person. And the first red flag that we find with Ziba is in in, in, in the fact that he has 15 sons and 20 servants, did that catch any of you? He has a huge family, and anybody who had a family like this and this many servants in the ancient world was very successful and very rich. Now think about this. Ziba is Saul's servant, 
Saul has just lost a war. Saul is dead. And somehow, Ziba's done really well for himself. He's done really, really well with himself. He's successful. And this is a theme that keeps on coming back in Ziba's life, that he is very good at taking care of himself. The second red flag in this passage is the way that Ziba singles out Mephibosheth. Now, it might sound like Ziba is being very kind to Mephibosheth, but have you, did you notice, if you look in verse, uh, if, you, if you look in verse 3, Ziba never uses Mephibosheth's name. He doesn't call him by name. He says that he is the son of Jonathan and that he is crippled in his feet. The one thing that stands out to Ziba is not Mephibosheth's name or who he is or what his personality is like or what his character is like. The one thing that stands out to him is his disability. And this is really important to pay attention to because if you look a little bit further in 2 Samuel chapter 21, we learn that Saul did not have only one surviving family member. He actually had seven surviving family members. So why does Ziba single out Mephibosheth? Could it be that he thinks that he can take advantage of Mephibosheth? That he could see Mephibosheth's weakness and use it for his personal gain? Here's the last red flag that we see with Ziba. He knows exactly where Mephibosheth is. He tells David that he is with Makir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Now, where is Ziba? Ziba is not with Makir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. He is with David in Jerusalem. Why isn't Ziba with Mephibosheth? Technically, Ziba was Mephibosheth's servant. Why wasn't he taking care of Mephibosheth? Why wasn't he protecting Mephibosheth? Well, he was in Jerusalem where he knew that he might find favor in the eyes of the king and rise in the ranks and enlarge his family and his fortune. See, Ziba didn't think that he owed Saul or Mephibosheth anything. And here's the key difference between being kind and being nice. Kindness makes promises. Kindness is owed. People who are kind say, I have no choice but to show kindness to this person in this situation. And the truth is, if we are honest with ourselves, none of us wants to live that way. We want to live like Ziba. No one wants to feel like they owe anyone anything. We try to build our lives in a way where we are free to do whatever we want, where we have as few obligations as possible. Maybe we owe something to our family. Maybe we owe something to our closest friends. But to strangers, to foreigners, to our enemies, to those who are different from us, to those who have hurt us, how could we possibly owe anything to them? See, Ziba does not know the meaning of obligation or commitment, and he would do well in our culture because we live in a highly commitment-phobic culture. And so once Mephibosheth comes to Jerusalem, David appoints Ziba to serve Mephibosheth, and he does that. And Ziba's very gracious. He says that I will be, I am your servant, and he says that he will serve Mephibosheth, and he does it for many, many years. 
But if you continue to read 2 Samuel, and you get to chapter 16 and 19, we're just in chapter 9 right now, if you get to 16 and 19, you learn that Ziba actually manipulates and deceives Mephibosheth to steal his property. That's the kind of person that Ziba is. He's polite, but he is not kind. He's nice, but he is not kind. See, kindness is beautiful, but most of the time we settle for niceness because kindness is hard. Kindness is costly. Kindness requires mercy. Kindness requires uh, commitment. And, and when you are... When you feel like you owe someone, you don't owe anything to anyone, when you feel like someone, you actually owe someone not kindness but payback, when someone has been unkind to you, when someone has hurt you, when you are mad at someone, the last thing you want to do is show them kindness. But here's the thing about kindness. What makes kindness so beautiful is that you can show kindness to people that you do not have the strength to be nice to. That even when you have no nice words for someone because of the ways that they have hurt you, you can still do something that is kind. You could help them in a tangible way, in a way that they don't deserve, in a way that costs you something. And this is so hard to do. It feels so many times when we have the opportunity to show kindness, it feels like we cannot afford it. But the truth is, we can't afford not to show kindness, which is the third point that I want to look at today, why we need kindness. Mephibosheth finally appears in verse 6. And the Bible says that the first thing that he does is he bows down to honor David. Now, in the original Old Testament Hebrew, that word bow down actually means fall on your face. Now, I want you to think about this and picture this. What would it be like for someone who is disabled to fall on their face in front of someone else who is able-bodied? Mephibosheth falls on his face. Think about how difficult that must have been, how painful it must have been, how humiliating it must have been. Why did he do it? Ziba did not fall on his face before David. Why did Mephibosheth fall on his face before David? Well, it's because Mephibosheth understood how much he needed kindness in his life. Mephibosheth didn't expect kindness from David. He probably expected revenge, payback. He probably expected David to put him to death or put him in prison or to punish him or humiliate him or make an example out of him. In fact, he was afraid of meeting David, which is why in verse 7, David, the first thing he says to him is, don't be afraid. He could see on Mephibosheth's face and body that he is scared to death, but instead of death, Mephibosheth received kindness. In fact, David did more than just spare Mephibosheth's life. He gave Mephibosheth all of Saul's land, his grandfather's land, the former king of Israel's land. And if, as if that were not enough, David promised to give Mephibosheth a place at his table. See, 
Mephibosheth was already set for life because he had all this land, but that was not enough. David wanted to see Mephibosheth every day. He wanted to know how he was doing. He wanted to see his face. He wanted to laugh with Mephibosheth and cry with Mephibosheth and do life with Mephibosheth. And verse 11 says that David treated him like a son. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And look at the way that Mephibosheth responds to David's kindness. He says, what is your servant that you should regard, show regard for a dead dog such as I? A dead dog such as I. Mephibosheth understood that he should have been a dead dog to David. And this is why he needed such kindness from David. And this is why the kindness that David gave him completely changed him. See, you will never know the value of kindness unless you need it. Is kindness a luxury that you think will make your life better? Or is kindness a necessity that you cannot live without? If if there was less kindness in your life, would it feel like your life is falling apart? Or would you feel like, I'm okay because ta- I know how to take care of myself? Or do you see your life as one kind act over another, that everything in your life that is good is the result of someone else's kindness? Is kindness a luxury or is it a necessity? If it's a luxury, then you are going to miss all sorts of kindnesses in your life. People will be kind to you and you will still be mad at them because you thought you deserved better. But if you see kindness as a necessity in your life, every tiny act of kindness will feel like a miracle. It will feel like God broke through into your life. And that there are kindnesses that are sustaining you and holding you together and giving you hope and value. See, the truth is, all of us in this room, we need kindness way more than we think we do. There's this woman, Stephanie Hubach, who is the founder of the organization Engaging Disability with the Gospel. She's also a Christian writer. She's written several books. And she's the mother of a child with Down syndrome. And listen to the way that she writes about our need. She says, disability is simply more, a more noticeable form of the brokenness that is common to human experience. A normal part of life in an abnormal world. It is just a difference of degree along a spectrum that contains difficulty all along its length. She's saying that we all need kindness way more than we think we do because we think we're living in a normal world when we're actually living in an abnormal world. And so this idea that any of us could have a normal life is an illusion. We think that normal people grow up in intact families that normal people are well-adjusted and easy to get along with, that normal people are happy, that normal people don't get depressed, normal people don't get anxious, normal people don't have addictions, normal people uh, don't need counseling, normal people 
don't remain single. Normal people have it easy. But the truth is, the truth is that there are no normal people if we are living in an abnormal world. And there is nothing normal about this world. We live in an abnormal world, a fallen world, a broken world. And when humanity decided to sin against God, we betrayed God's kindness. Every single human being in sin becomes like Zeba, and the world is filled with Zebas, which is why this world is so abnormal and so broken. And disability is just one part of this deeper brokenness that the Bible calls sin. See, the truth is, sooner or later, if you do not feel like a dead dog now, one day you will. Because we live in an abnormal world. And when you feel like a dead dog, the only hope for you is kindness. So where do you find it? Where do you get it? Where do you get this kindness that all of us so desperately need? This brings us to the last thing that we're going to look at today, where to get kindness. Now, David gives us an incredible example, an inspiring example of kindness. And if you know his story, he was not always this kind. He did some really messed up things. But why? Where did he find the strength to show kindness in this situation? Where did he find the ability to show extraordinary kindness to Mephibosheth and to Saul's house? Well, he got it from a kind person and a kind God. And we're going to close with these two things, a kind person and a kind God. The kind person is Jonathan. Remember, we... we, talked about Jonathan and the covenant that David made with Jonathan. He said, I'm doing this for Jonathan's sake. Well, why did David make that covenant? What was his relationship with Jonathan like? Well, Jonathan was the firstborn son of Saul. He was next in line to be king. And so he he should have been king, not David, actually, right? but, But God anointed David to be the king of Israel, and when King Saul saw that, He was threatened by it, and he started to hate David, and he wanted to kill David. But when Jonathan saw that God had anointed David to be the next king, he was inspired by it. And when he learned that his father, Saul, was going to kill David, he warned David and helped him escape. And he put his own life at risk. And Jonathan knew that if David was king, he could never be king. But he loved David, and he loved God And he made that sacrifice. And when he did that, they made a covenant together. David and Jonathan made this covenant. They became one house, one family. And David said, promise. Jonathan asked David, protect me and my family when you are king. He doesn't say if you are king. When you are king. Because I'm going to help you get there. When you are king, don't forget me and my family. You see, David was able to show extraordinary kindness to Mephibosheth because he had received extraordinary kindness from Jonathan. Jonathan gave up everything. He gave up his throne. He gave up his closeness with his father, even though he stayed with his father to the end and died in battle with his father. Things between him him and his father would always be strained to their last breath. And he gave up, ultimately gave up his own life to make David king. And when David saw this extraordinary kindness of Jonathan, he could not help but to show extraordinary kindness to Mephibosheth. 
The only way to grow in kindness is by receiving kindness. You cannot generate kindness from thin air. You cannot willpower yourself into kindness. You cannot say to yourself over and over again, be kind, be kind, be kinder, you're better than this. That will not make you into a kind person. It will actually make you into a very judgmental person. The only way to grow in kindness is to receive and experience extraordinary kindness. But where do, you, where do you find that extraordinary kindness? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I, I, don't, I have never known anyone like Jonathan. No one has ever done anything that kind for me in my life. I feel like I am on my own and there is no one to help me. Well, this, this is why it's so important that you need more than just a kind person. You need a kind God. Look at verse 3. David in verse 1, he says, uh, who can I show kindness to? In verse 3, he says that he wants to show God's kindness to Saul's house. God's kindness. See, David, as he experienced the kindness of Jonathan, realized this was really not the kindness of Jonathan. It was the kindness of God. That God, that, that, that Jonathan's kindness was just an imperfect picture of God's perfect kindness. Do you know the kindness of God this morning? Do you know the kindness of God? Do you know how Jesus gave up his heavenly throne so that you can have a seat in heaven in his holy court, so that you can reign as a co-heir together with him? Do you know how he gave up his life for you? Do you know that even though you sh he should treat you like a dog, that he has treated you like a son and daughter of God? Do you know how blessed you are? Do you know how God loves you? Do you know how he wants to be with you through eternity? How he wants to laugh with you and cry with you and smile with you and enjoy your presence? Do you know the kindness of God? This table points us to a greater table where one day we are going to eat with Jesus together. And you know who's going to be at that table? David and Mephibosheth and the thief on the cross. There are going to be some of the giants of, the, of, of, of Christian history and some of the no-names of Christian history and some of those who barely just squeaked in. And all of us will have an equal table around the table of God because at the table of God there are no dead dogs, only sons and daughters of the king. And if you have the kindness of God, if you take this into your life, it will make you into a kind person and there will be no ceiling on how kind you can become and how kind you can be. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your kindness.
It is a kindness that none of us can deserve. A kindness that should have failed in so many points. Lord, how could you choose to show kindness to us when you showed no kindness to Jesus on the cross? How could you choose to bring us healing through his wounds? How could you choose to give us life through his death? How could you choose to make us sons and daughters when we were once your enemies? How can you choose to devote all of yourself to us that we may know that we are never alone? God, we thank you for the great and rich kindness that you give us at this table that invites us in and gives us a community to share your grace with together, to laugh at how fortunate we are to have such great love from a God who is so great as you. We pray that this would transform us as we take in the kindness at this table, that we would taste and see your goodness to us, and that we would begin to see all the kindnesses that you orchestrate in our lives and that we would be so transformed by it, that we would become your servants, not only in name but in action, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus showing kindness to broken people all around us in this church and in this city. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.